The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! And then it goes to Hada. And then it goes to Hada. Miedema. Miedema van de Donk is mee. Miedema. Goal, 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 goal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up in this big preview show, will the Lionesses bring it home? Is the Dutch courage running out? And will France give everyone the blues? It's Lindsay Hooper here with Kate Borsay and joining us for our big Euros preview show. It's freelance women's football journalist Sophie Lawson and commentator Vicky Sparks. How are you both doing? Sophie, has the excitement level kicked in yet? Well, I keep getting sort of the, um, you know, nine days to go, eight days to go. <laughs> yes. And it's just making me stressed out more than anything else. <laughs> yes. And for Vicky, who is having to plan for several commentaries, I'm guessing you haven't really come up for air yet. <laughs> exactly that. But but I have to say, I think it will be one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive tournaments that the women's game has ever seen. But in terms of England as well, I mean, Serena Wiegman has got them organised. We know there's such strength in depth in that squad, but there's that belief now. You can tell under this manager who's been here, who's done it. And I think it could be a great summer for women's football and it could be a great summer for the Lionesses as well. Is it going to be a great summer for you, though, Vicky Sparks? Have you got your head round all the different pronunciations yet? Is there a particular pronunciation that you feel very proud that you've got down already? Or are you just going to be taking them one at a time as you go through? Well, I can tell you, uh, you know, the, the one I've been practising, Ellen White. Ellen White, does that, does that sound all right? <laughs> For anyone who wants some behind the scenes insight, you'll see most of my pronunciations on our script documents here as I write them out phonetically in capitals to try and drill it in. Uh, but look, I'm looking forward uh, to being able to share all the information that we've got about players for you here on the show. All through the Euros then, we're going to have daily podcasts. But before we start with those, we're here with our big preview show to help you tell your McGulls from your McGills, your Blackstad from your Blackstad. Stinius, your Darley from your Garley, all with a sweepstake at the end, including you, the listener. So let's crack on. So first up, it's Group A featuring the hosts England, Austria, Norway and Northern Ireland. We've all got that one rehearsed in our heads. We know it off by heart. So we'll begin with the host nation, England. We got a taster already, Sophie, for these ones with the friendlies leading up to the tournament, the 5-1 win against the Netherlands and everyone started throwing their beer in the air already. Have we gone too soon with England to think that they have a real good shot of winning this tournament? I I would say we might have gone too soon, but we always go too soon, so that's absolutely fine. (laughs) And I definitely remember chance of of it's coming home very early before we went out to uh, to France. But um, I think it, it's, 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 it's very important for the team to, to get these good results up against some of the, the better teams in Europe as they have been playing lower-ranked ones since Wiegmann uh, came in. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that they're sorted if they come up against any team from the Lowlands. But beyond that, we'll, we'll have to see. Well, Vicky, in all seriousness, I can see why we have started to get carried away. It has looked brilliant at times under Serena Wiegmann. Do we have full confidence in her and that she can deliver another home Euros? Bear in mind she did it with the Netherlands as well. 
Do we have full confidence in her? Yes, I think so. Do we have confidence that she will deliver another home Euros? I mean, that depends on on France and Spain and and Germany, etc., as much as it does England. So I think I've been really impressed with their friendly performances. And I think they were different types of performances as well, which is what they will face at the Euros this summer. So Belgium were very stubborn. They had to be patient. They had to wait until the second half to make the breakthrough. And they did. And they ended up winning comfortably. You can swap out Belgium for Austria, not exactly in terms of style of play, but in terms of approach. That opener at the sold out Old Trafford. So that's one test that they passed. And then the Netherlands, we'll go into detail in the Netherlands on the Netherlands later, but in terms of their chances, but they're the defending European champions. They played a strong team. They've got a huge amount of talent. And it was a game that was finally poised for for quite a while. And then after Sharida Spitzer missed that penalty on her 200th appearance, and then Beth Mead scored 54 seconds later to put England ahead early in the second half, England just blew them away. And I I don't care about the questions around the Netherlands. That is outstanding. And and just in terms of that confidence for England going into this tournament with the manager that they have, who's been there and done it before, as we know, and getting a result like that, yes, it's a friendly, yes, it's a warm-up, but against the defending European champions, I think England will go into this tournament and say, you know what, on our day with the players that we have and the manager we have as well, There's nobody that we can't beat. Now, will they win it? That's a very different question. Have they got the potential to win it? Absolutely. Gosh, you're making me even more excited, Vicky. And it's true. (laughs) Wigman's played this really, really well in terms of warm-up games as well. In fact, of her 13 games in charge, four of those games have come against teams ranked in the top 10 in the world. All of them a place or two above England. She's yet to lose any of them. So I think she's played the build-up. Could have been risky playing big teams before a big tournament, but it has paid off so far. Vicky, where are your strong points and your weak points in this England squad? Let's get into the players well to be honest and I would extend it out to the to the 28 as well that were then narrowed down to the 23 you know you can see how all of them had a had a claim to be squad players at least I mean I, I think this is one of the strongest England squads and we've seen a lot of strong England squads but I think the strength in depth is is outstanding a lot of people of course understandably very excited about Lauren Hemp the reigning PFA young player of the year the fourth time she's won that in her career and we've seen glimpses of what she can do in the build up i mean more than glimpses that goal against the netherlands was absolutely world class and i think what really excited me and we had this conversation after the belgium game with uh, Laura Bassett and Anita Asante who were covering it with me for for me i understand why you switch wingers during a match but for me The most exciting play that I've seen from England in these two friendlies and beyond that as well, Lauren Hemp on the left, Beth Mead on the right, just stick with that. Yeah, maybe switch them around a little bit, but they were chopping and changing in the first half against Belgium. And I was thinking that link up play between Beth Mead and Lucy Bronze is looking so dangerous. Lauren Hemp on either wing is dangerous, but I just love Hemp on the left where she's supposed to be, Mead on the right where she's supposed to be. And the combination play between those two on opposite sides of the pitch in the second half against the Netherlands. There's so much to be excited about. Then you've got Kira Walsh, Leah Williamson, who is such a natural in midfield. I thought it was interesting as well that she did slot back into centre-half when Serena Wiegmann was making the changes in the second half against the Dutch. We know she's going to play in midfield in the tournament. She's been given the number eight. That's where she'll start as the captain. But they've got the option as well of, of slotting her back into that back four or even back five if they wanted to change up formation as well. So I, I think the strength of depth is great. Mary Earps has come off the best season that she's had for Manchester United. 
I could go on. Can you tell? <laughs> yes. And within this squad as well, Sophie, you have really good tournament players. Now, I know that Ellen White for Manchester City might not be getting as many plaudits as she as she might expect. She hasn't played as many splitting the time with Bunny Shaw at domestic level. But when it comes to England and she puts on an England shirt, she has been reliable. Are you expecting that to be the case again here? That There is some good backup options, though, with Russo as well. Absolutely. I, I think some of the young players coming through are, are, are really sort of incredibly exciting. But it's, I think it's, it's White's experience and it's, it's her ability, uh, her, her natural ability sort of to play through the middle when you've got, say, a hemp on one side and a Kelly or a Mead on the other. So I think, you know, it, we've seen Gareth Taylor use her a lot. We saw Phil Neville use her a lot. I think she's still sort of the go-to for England. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen any player score so many goals whilst falling over as Ellen White. And I think that's, that's always massive to have when you need a goal. But I think, yeah, so good experience in the team. But I think it's the youth that will um, also be the, the, the teller this summer. Sophie, Vicky couldn't be drawn on this earlier because she's super hyped about these Euros, as we all understand. Is there a weak point for England in this squad, in this setup positionally? Perhaps, I think the weak point is isn't isn't so much about the personnel or the formations as much as it is of the unknown and going down. Now, the, when they conceded to the Netherlands, I think that was the first time that they they've been down and needing a comeback uh, since since Wiegmann took over. And it's just what happens about when they're not in their comfort zone, when they're under the un, under the cosh. If uh, a team can sort of get them on their backs, uh, you know, no one has has been been able to so far, but it's the what if they come up against a Germany team who are in the mood or a Spain team who are keeping the ball or anything like that. I think it's what does the plan B look like for England? And I think that's sort of the unknown we've got and that's where where the danger might lie for England. We don't 100% know the starting lineup either. I think we've got some indication of a spine of the squad, but there's certainly places up for grabs, Vicky. Before we move on to the next team, where do you think England will finish? I know we're all hopeful they might lift the trophy. Realistically, can you see them in the final? Again, it's that what can they achieve and what will they achieve? And I think as a commentator, you're always reluctant to say, yes, they will do this. But but yeah, I, I am confident from what I've seen All right, well, let's move on from England now to their opponents in their opening match on July 6th at Old Trafford, and that's Austria. So what do we think about Austria? Sophie, let's go to you first of all. They were semi-finalists in 2017. Their coach, Irene Furman, has has basically said that they're a, a decent mix of experienced and young players and has pointed out that their asset is their versatility. What more can you tell us about them? Well, they're, they're quite a different team. They took they took some time to sort of adjust when Furman came in. It was uh, Dominic Talhammer was was the coach back in 2017 when they when they were one of the debutante uh, teams, and they just they attacked that tournament with with such an unexpected vigor. And then I mean, they could have they could have had sort of three wins on the bounce, but it was when they got into the knockouts that things started to change for them. We haven't seen this Austria team have that much fun. Um, since Furman took it uh, took over, unfortunately, but I think she, she's right. There's there's a good mix there. There's some youth. There's some experience. There's sort of some rigid players, some flexible players, some creative players. But it's a big ask. It's it's always a big ask for whoever plays the hosts in the opener of any tournament. Things 
tend not to go well for them in that, in that opening match. And then you're kind of, you're on the risk of, of falling into a spiral. So, you know, and England have played Austria a couple of times as well. They generally get the, the better of them to, to a, a, around about a three nil score score line, which is, which is again, a bit worrying if you are in sort of Austria's corner for this one. But they've got some fun players, someone like Lara Weisinger or Saad Zadlov. They're always great to watch and just see them go to work in midfield. You might see more of that against Norway or, or Northern Ireland than England. But I think they're not to be written off as a team that can get out of the group. It's just what happens in the 50-50s there. Vicky, the, the 2017 Euro for them, it, it was their first major tournament. Mm. So there would be an argument to say that the shackles were off. They had nothing to lose. They had no scrutiny whatsoever. Suddenly you look at some of the players that they've got in this team, including Zinsberger, Manuela Zinsberger, that, that we know very well in WSL. And, and you look and, and there are a scattering of quality players in there. Do we have to temper those expectations, the fact that they got to a semi-final last time might have been because the pressure was off. Partly. I mean, I think, you know, they, they also only lost on penalties in that semi-final to, to Denmark, who obviously went on to lose to the Netherlands. So, you know, they were spot kicks away from, from making it through to a final. Uh, five years on, you know, that tournament experience will help the players that were involved last time. But, you know, five years is, is a long time in football. And as Sophie's alluded to there, you know, the, the squad has, has changed. You've still got those, those stalwart key players, many of whom you've mentioned. Barbara Dunst as well, I would throw into the mix too. Uh, the attacker, yeah. she's just had a very, very good season in Germany. Loves to dribble past opponents and uh, yeah, watch watch out for her this summer. But I, I think the point that they've made about playing the host side at a sold out Old Trafford as well in the opener, that, that is hard for Austria. However, really, I presume, unless they can cause a big upset against England and it would be a big upset, you know, that they, they will see it and no disrespect to Northern Ireland, but they will see it as fighting it out with Norway, which is their final game for that second place and the top two, of course, going through to the quarterfinals. So so it doesn't all rest on that on that opening game. I think as well, and again, as Sophie was saying, that the fact that England have faced them in, in the Women's World Cup qualifiers, that's almost an advantage for both teams. They've not played the away game uh, in Austria yet, England, but they only won 1-0 in Sunderland. And, and I was at that match and it was a hard fought. It was a deserved victory. But again, Austria will look at that and they'll think, well, we gave England a couple of scares and we held them at bay for, for quite a long time. And that was on home soil as well. And yes, it's going to be a different prospect at, at a sold out game in Manchester. But, you know, I think that that is a benefit to both teams and perhaps more of a benefit to Austria because they're going to have to work harder te- technically, tactically to get something against a side like England who are going to be the favourites. And and you've got to look at their qualification campaign as well. I mean, they qualified as one of the best runners up behind France and they drew with the French at home. I mean, we know that France have had a, a couple of <laughs> scares in qualifying for the World Cup recently. But, but you know, it's it's, again... They have the ability on the day to do something against the biggest teams in women's football. Is it a big ask for them? Yes, it is. Well, next in Group A, it's Northern Ireland. And they certainly in this group occupy the position of just go for it. They will be throwing everything at this. A first major tournament that they've ever qualified for. So pleased when I saw them get through. And certainly when they were drawn in England's group as well. Rachel Finesse, who we, we've watched Vicky for many, many years. Um, yeah. You're just really happy to see that she's got this major tournament experience. Simone McGill, another player, Rebecca McKenna, that everybody will know. Start us off then, Vicky, on this one. And we'll come to Sophie next. What do you think that they can aim to achieve in this tournament? Well, I think you said it there. The pressure is completely off 
their debutants, the first major tournament they've ever qualified for. They are the lowest ranked side by some way, if you look at the FIFA World Rankings in this tournament. And they're in a difficult group with, with Austria, Norway and, of course, of course, the host England. I think one thing that's been a real positive for them, a lot of their players don't play professionally. But what the Northern Ireland FA have done is since January... They set up a full-time training camp for those players who aren't in professional contracts. So that's essentially the, the Northern Ireland-based players. So seven months they have been training for this Euros full-time with, with the national setup. And it's just testament to the journey that Northern Ireland are on. They they love to be the underdogs. They'll be backed by the Green and White Army who will be travelling over in their numbers. And, you know, it's, it's a brilliant occasion for them. And I, I think they will... They will grasp it with with both hands. And again, they have the advantage of being in the World Cup qualifying group with, with England and Austria. You know, a couple of results from that stand out for me. Yes, they lost 4-0 to England at Wembley, but they held them at bay until midway through the second half. And I tell you what, Wembley's as much of a stage, if not more, than Old Trafford, isn't it? And then the 2-2 draw with Austria, where Austria had to equalise in in added time. So they, they are capable of, of posing some problems. They can play without pressure. And, and that is what's going to be key for them. Can they embrace the opportunity and the occasion? And that's something that Kenny Shields has spoken about for a long time, not just in the build-up to the Euros, but whenever they set up these games against teams that are in the top 10, the top 20, enjoy the occasion, embrace it. And if they can hang on to that mindset... Well, who knows? If they become overwhelmed by the occasion and, and the the pressure, if you put it on yourself of competing at a, a major tournament for the first time, then that that could be trickier for them. But I don't think that'll happen. I think Kenny Shields is, is so focused on this. Let's just go out. Let's enjoy it. And it's about getting the country behind them. I was watching their squad announcement the other day uh, and, and it was all animated and voiced over by one of the Derry girls. It was just done really well and I thought it was a great way to start to capture the heart of the nation. They'll want Northern Ireland behind them. I just hope Kenny Shields has recovered from that rather funny turn that he had when he proclaimed that women concede second goals too quickly after the first because they're too emotional. I'll forgive him for that if the team put in a great performance for this. Key personnel are back. We know that they've been injured is set to the Northern Ireland captain Marissa Callahan. She's expected to be ready. Uh, Rebecca McKenna as well uh, missed the friendly against Belgium, but I think she's back. Someone else to look out for uh, is the defender Demi Vance as well, Sophie. She enters the tournament as a free agent. She was part of the team uh, that led Rangers women to their first Scottish Premier League title. Had a great free kick against Austria in that two-all draw that you mentioned, Vicky. Anyone else we should be looking for in this Northern Ireland team? Uh, or is there anything that you'll be watching out for in terms of the way that they're going to set up, the way that they're going to play this? I quite like uh, Kirsty McGuinness. It, it's a tricky one when you think that it's going to be a team that has to defend a lot. So then yeah, you're asking even more of your attackers uh, to to go out and impress when you when they have the ball. But I, I like McGuinness if she if she can get forward, that that will be great for them. Uh, we talk about we can talk about Rachel Furness until we're blue in the face. Uh, she's just it's so inspiring in that team. It's it's tricky as as Vicky said. You know, there, there is always the risk of getting lost in the occasion. Uh, but there's there's a lot of experience in that team, and that that's the nice way of saying it. The average age of the squad can be can be quite high. So it, again, it's just how they manage those minutes uh, over a to- over a tournament as well, and just generally how they set up because they don't want to they don't want to be you know with a bus park for for three matches on the spin, but they they also don't want to get carved carved apart. So it's it, it, it's a tricky balance, and 
I think in the England game at Wembley, they they did some they did some things well. They did some things not well. And then as soon as that first goal went in, they they they, they fell apart, uh, and not because they were emotional, as someone might have suggested. But it, I think they just need to be very very mindful of the little details. Northern Ireland, I think that could be not necessarily what makes or breaks them, but just helps them get through games if they can sort of make sure they get the little things right mm. and leave the big stuff. Well, it's not just Northern Ireland who'll be lacking international tournament experience. Norway's Arda Hegerberg hasn't played for her national team for five years, unhappy with the way that they treated women's football. So, Sophie, will Hegerberg make the difference for Norway? Ballon d'Or winner, Champions League top scorer, just won the Champions League as well, of course, with Leon. Will she make the difference for Norway? I know this is a podcast, so I'm just going to say I'm making a face right now. Um, <laughs> Yes, it, it, in a word, uh, that Norway squad, without even without other, is is phenomenal. Uh, they've, they've got some f- fantastic players, not just in in the attack with someone like Cara Graham Hansen, but since she's come back, and yes, they've not played the strongest opposition so far. I mean, there was a hat trick against Kosovo in her, mo- in her first match back. It was Kosovo, but um, she. I think there's a few few nations out there, and it's it's a simple case of if you get the ball to Ada, if you get the ball to Katoto or Schala in Germany, whatever, she will score goals. So get the ball to her, score goals, progress. It's just everything else around it in that Norway team that's that's a question mark. But if they can they can get the ball up to Ada, she'll score. And well, in theory, she'll score. It didn't really happen in 2017, but it's, there's a lot that's happened uh, off the pitch. I think for all of us, but for, definitely for, for Ada and. She's going into this tournament, I think, with a different mentality as well than 2017. Uh, so much has happened to her. And, you know, this is a Norway team that has had quite a few knocks over the last few years. So hopefully we see the best from all of them and, and not just not, 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 not just the Leon woman. They do have Euros heritage, Vicky, Norway. Mm. They've made the semi-finals in every Euros bar two since 87. So they didn't do it in 97 and in 2017. And on my notes here, I've just written goals, 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 because I know we've just bigged up Arda Hegerberg, but there there are plenty of other players in this Norway side for whom we can look to for goals. You mentioned Caroline Graham Hansen, but Guru Wrighton as well. Yeah. Vildeberg Risa too has had a really good season for Manchester United, I think. And in terms of Wrighton, we've seen what she's been doing for Sam Kerr in the WSL, been vital for assists, but it's also scored goals too. Mm. So I think Norway could be a really, in terms of goals, a really exciting team to watch. Absolutely. And I, I think the, the question is, we, we know that they like to play an attacking style. I think Hansen, again, is worth another mention that the Barcelona player, their top scorer in qualifying for this tournament, and she's really blossomed in a positive way. I'm not saying she's blossomed because of Arda Hergeberg's absence. I think having them both together is, is is much better. And the combination of those two will be really exciting for Norway at this Euros. But she's really stepped up in, in Hergeberg's absence for the national team. And we, we know that she's excelling at, at club level as well. And Norway like to play this attacking style. They play this position best game under their coach, Martin Twerger. And can they do it and can they bring that style and how will they find the balance against the top sides? Because we know that it works against inferior opposition. Now, you've got players that can do it against the top sides, but how do you find that balance overall as a team when you've also got to worry about 
Beth Mead running at you, Ellen White, Lauren Hemp. So I think that balance for Norway will be key, not just in making sure that they navigate the group and banishing the memories of Euro 2017, because you touched on it there, but it was a terrible tournament for Norway. They finished bottom of the group without a goal or a point. It was an awful, awful collective team performance, and and they will be desperate to banish the memories of that and, and get deep into this tournament you know that they, they've got those those players the quality in the squad I mean Hegerberg is, is one of the best players in the world we saw what she did in the Champions League final for Leon. she has the ability to take a game by the scruff of the neck and just change it and and as you say with, with the players around her I think balance though is the key word for for Norway this summer All right, well, let's head on to Group B now, featuring Germany, Denmark, Spain and Finland. A tough group, this one. In fact, many have already given it that classic tournament moniker, the Group of Death. Let's start with Germany. Sophie, the big question really for Germany is can they get back to former glory? They've won six consecutive Euros from 95 to 2013, lost in the quarterfinal in 2017 to Denmark. And it's fair to say have sort of lost their way a a little bit since then. I'd never rule them out. So what do we need to see from this Germany team in the tournament that perhaps they haven't been giving us over the last three or four years? Coherent, everyone on the same page, something that makes sense. Uh, they, they are all over the place. They're one of the teams that just produces incredible footballers and incredible attackers and mid- midfielders. And they've got they've got plenty and, and plenty that they were left out as well for, for that reason. But it doesn't and it hasn't been making sense under Los Tecklenburg as of late there if you look back over their results over the last couple of couple of years they're really up and down you know it's she she's uh, been sort of rotating players a lot sometimes it's injury force sometimes it's not and it just it throws everyone off of out of the rhythm because they don't know who they're playing alongside but you know they they just had quite a big win over Switzerland so they can do it but you know I remember they played Brazil in a warm-up before 2017 and absolutely hammered them got to the Netherlands and fell apart. No one knew what they were doing. Uh, likewise, they looked incredible in the, in the build-up to 2019. The results probably don't tell the story of those matches, but then you get 2019 and they, they don't have answers for questions that are being asked of them. Why do you think That's, they've stuck with Voss Tecklenburg, Sophie? Why haven't they looked at a managerial change? I think Germany coaches are there for the long haul. If, if you look back over... You know, before Ross Tegmanberg, yes, you had um, Hulbert, who was there as sort of an interim after Jones, who was uh, d- dismissed quite early because it just didn't work under her. But then if you go back, Nide was there for ages. Um, I think Tina Toon was there for ages. You know, it's, you know, you look at Ross Tegmanberg's uh, career as, as a player as well. She, she was so, so good for the Nationals. I mean, there's a lot of faith in her from, mm. from the DFB. With the, te- with the quality in this team, if it doesn't happen for them again, I think big questions have to be asked, not just about the, the coach, but the entire setup as to why these this team just keeps failing when it uh, it was at one time just so good. And yes, yeah. the rest of the world has improved, but so have they. Let's mm. talk about the, the personnel, Vicky, with you. Mm. They've got the experience, Alexandra Pop. Uh, Huth, De Britz, Almuth Schult, you know, all won gold with Germany in 2016 at the Olympics. So they've got that spine to them. But I think what's most exciting is some of the younger players that we're starting to see in this Germany side really flourish. Who have you got your eye on? Yeah, I think 
Tabea Vasmut at Wolfsburg. She's had a great season. You've got Leah Schuller, top scorer in the Bundesliga as well. You, you know, and I think that's it. You, you've got that strength through the squad. I, I think the the challenge for Germany, and it's, I, I think the squad at the Euros is a good one. They're missing Marajan, who of course is a is a huge miss. She's out injured, and, and Melanie Leipolz as well, who's pregnant and will be really missed I think for for them she's she's a good player that I think obviously we know her so well in the WSL her time at Chelsea but but is is a you know so important for that German national team as well but but aside from that you know they do have the players to to go well I, I think I think the challenge for them and, and Sophie touched on it earlier is the the build-up to this Euros has been really disrupted so for example when they came over to England for the Arnold Clark Cup they were struggling so much with injuries and with Covid and it's quite a different Germany squad yeah you, you've got the the starting 11 uh, were, were pretty much the involved in the Euros squad but they didn't bring a a full squad. They didn't bring the squad that they would have wanted to. And, and that was a really good opportunity, as we saw for England, you know, to play three teams in, in the top 10 in, in Spain and, and Canada and then Germany and England, of course. And and, and they haven't been able to have that, that build-up because of the, the injury disruption. But I think they've got the, they've got, again, I would absolutely put them up there as a side that are, have the potential to reach the final, have the potential to win the tournament, if everything comes together for Germany. But I would put them a, a, a little bit behind perhaps the the out-and-out favourites, yeah. which I, I think, you know, Spain and England are to- top of those. I'd even go so far to say at the moment, based on what we've seen so far, that is a bold claim. They're going to have to really, as Sophie says, get it together uh, for this tournament. Quick shout out from me for Jules Brand, the 19-year-old. Uh, she just moved to Wolfsburg uh, from Hoffenheim. She's certainly someone I'll be looking out for in terms of young, exciting players, um, plays in midfield. She can drop back deeper as well, but someone I'll be looking out for. Next up, I spoke to Spanish journalist Bea Redondo about the side featuring superstar Alexia Pateas. Bea joins us to talk all things Spain. Bea, I've got to go straight in with the obvious, that everyone is comparing Spain and Barcelona. Is that a dangerous tactic for this Euro? I think it is. I think it is because, you know, I mean, it is an obvious thing to do, right? You look at the final roster, there's like nine players there um, in Spain that play for Barcelona. You know, you have most of the back line. You've got that midfield, that very strong midfield. So it's very, it's very easy to go and compare them to Barcelona. But then there, I think there are two big elements that are different. First of all, it's that identity that Barcelona has. You know, that identity is very unique to them. You never know, like, what they're going to do. They change, they adapt really well. I think Jorge Vilda has tried to replicate that Barcelona style with the national team. But then you might want to ask yourself, you know, how smart is it to try and replicate exactly what is going on in a club team when you've got different personnel? So I think that's one of the threats. Then the other one is, of course, in Barcelona, you've got like very important non-Spanish players like, you know, Caroline Graham Hansen. You've got Rolfo, who has adapted really well to the Barcelona style. So you're definitely changing pieces there. So I would say it is a very different situation. I also think that some of the Spanish players in Barcelona don't even blend that well when they're a national team because their roles kind of change a little bit. 
And so you often see kind of people making passes that would work at Barcelona, but don't really work for the national team. And sometimes you kind of ask yourself the question, like, they're the same people. Like, why isn't this working? <laughs> but really, I think it is kind of a um, quite a different team. I think the the style, the kind of possession uh, style based football that they play is quite similar. But I would say whatever Spain accomplishes will be very different from, you know, what Barcelona has been able to do. It's a kind of very different situation that they have. Controlling that hype, you're right. I think that's important because you look at tournament experience and that's the thing that Spain really lack at the moment. They might have all these amazing players. I'm sure Pateas is going to be a huge threat for them, but it's just trying to get some tournaments under their belt, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there was a lot of, you know, excitement around the 2019 World Cup. And then we had to face the US uh, pretty early on. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a, like a really good game that game was. But obviously, it was the end of, um, you know, Spain's kind of uh, run in that tournament. So definitely, you know, how do you control that, you know, excitement, that also anxiety as you move along, if hopefully we do move along different stages. So yeah, I think that's definitely going to be a key piece, like, you know, kind of that um, mentality moving into the final stages of the tournament. But then on the other hand, you also have players that have a lot of experience in the um, under 19, under um, 17, and have done really well have, you know, won tournaments, have um, been runners up in those tournaments. So I think that will also play a key role and that will definitely help them. The other nations, I think, will be paying attention to that and the young players that are now in this senior squad. Because you look at pre-2013, you'd only ever qualified for one major tournament, but now you're in a real good run, fifth in a row. It, It feels like there is a progression in this team and it's certainly come from that youth coming through. Yeah, I think it does. It also does um, come from like, we obviously need to look at what happened after the 2015 World Cup and how the Spanish team kind of like the players stood up and said enough is enough. Like we've had enough with this coach being here for 28 years. We need change. We need to be a more professional team. And I think a lot of what those kind of senior players back then did for this team now has allowed that youth to come into a much more professional environment, a competitive environment uh, in which they have a very good chance of winning. And I think that's that combination of, you know, having those senior players push for a much more mature program and simultaneously this young players come in with that kind of very positive experience in the younger tournaments and then, you know, come in here and being able to make their statement like, I know like someone like Claudia Pina will be very much looking forward to um, share what she can do now at a senior level. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's probably a good combination and a good blend for Spain to be in this very nice spot right now. We'll see what they do with it, though. <laughs> you have had one big injury, Jenny Hermoso. How big a miss do you think she's going to be? I think I think she's going to be huge. I think she brings in well. She is obviously one of the team captains, um, so that's massive. I think there's also like she is a big personality um, inside the locker room. She has always been praised for being the one that keeps everyone happy. She was also one of the players that has been pushing for some of these kind of changes that came uh, earlier in the month, like you know the um, equal pay movement and so on. So I think not just from a kind of football um, kind of on the pitch, you know, add-on that she brings, but also what she does behind the scenes. I think she's going to be a huge miss. Also, like Spain have played a lot to Jenny Hermoso's kind of 
style in many in many cases. So it's now finding how to adapt to other styles. It's a big opportunity for Spain because it means that they can come out and surprise with something a little different. But I think it is going to be huge for, for the team overall. Do you think your standout star is going to be Pateas? I think it's a bit of a kind of, um, you know, everyone will be looking at her. So everything amazing that she does, everyone will spot it, which is always kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that works really well. I do think she comes in at a very good time. Like she is in great shape. She has had over the 2022 um, kind of um Spanish run she has been key she's been making those plays that have allowed Spain to score or to win games I do think that there are other players that are going to impress that are going to be like Aitana Bonmati scored an amazing goal in the first half against Australia and I don't think people know how good she is um, even though she plays for Barcelona I, I think that a lot of people are sleeping in her so I think players like her will have an opportunity to shine but yeah all eyes are going to be on Alexia Putellas and, and I think she'll definitely impress those that haven't seen her yet. But we're so grateful for your time before you go yeah. where do you think Spain will finish in this tournament? Uh, you put me on the spot there. <laughs> I think they will get to the semi-finals. Okay, semi-finals it is. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Lindsay speaking to Bea Redondo there. Before we move on, because we've got so much to get through, Sophie, I can't not go to you at this stage because you have something quite definitive to say about Spain. Proceed. There's a lot of hype around Spain. There's a lot of positivity that we saw that definitely came out of, of when they won the Champions League final last season. As, as Bear did sort of warn you, Spain is not Barcelona. Barcelona is not Spain. I I think they're they're in a, a, a perilously tough group. I think there's there's a mistake somewhere. I, I personally see Denmark getting through. I think it will, will, could possibly be at the cost of Spain because they again like Germany, they don't show up in a way that makes much sense at tournaments. And if you go back to 2019, Pateas was in fantastic form for, for, for Barcelona coming into that. And then she was absent at, at the tournament. I, I worry that will happen to them again. So, yeah, so everyone's tipping them to win it. I, I don't think they're going to get out of the group. And uh, you can at me when, when they do win the whole thing. I will, I, will, I will take all that heat. Delightful. Well, thank you for putting your neck on the block with that one. Let's move to Finland next. Spain play their first game against Finland. Vicky, what are we expecting from them? Oh, they're really up against it, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> whether it's Spain or Denmark or Germany, and that's a big call there from Sophie. Massive respects. But, you know, this is it's not called the group of death for no reason, is it? I mean, for, for Finland just to get points out of this group, I think, would, would be an achievement for them and that's no disrespect to them it's it's just testament to the strength of of the other three teams in the group again their focus will be on defending they did show that against Sweden in a World Cup qualifier back in last November they lost 2-1 but you know Sweden are, are such a proficient side and their counter-attacks are quite dangerous as well that's the way that they'll play you know they'll try and soak up pressure and then hit players on the counter-attack, they'll be focusing, I think, particularly on on trying to take points off, off Denmark. But again, it, it, similar to Northern Ireland, there's no pressure on Finland whatsoever. 
you know, they they reached the semi-finals back in 2005 in England's last home tournament, but they didn't qualify in 2017. They, they know that there isn't any pressure on them for, for this tournament. Nobody will expect them to, to get even a point, let alone get anywhere near getting out of the group. And that in itself perhaps can help them go another level. But I, I think out of all the sides, and I include Northern Ireland in this, even though they're ranked lower than, than Finland in the world rankings, I, I think... Finland have the toughest tournament ahead. Mm, you say defence is key for WSL fans. Look out for Corpella, the goalkeeper, Tottenham's goalkeeper uh, that plays for Finland. OK, well, lastly, in this group of death, let's move on to Denmark. Sophie, we've talked about whether Denmark can spring a surprise or not. They've got some got some key personnel, Panilla Harder, uh, Nadia Nadim uh, among them. How do you think they'll fare? I, I think they're going to, Put the surprise uh, and, and finish second, um, or, or even first. Let, let's go. Let's go really crazy. Gosh. Scandinavian nations are very good at managing tournaments. If you look at what happened to to Denmark uh, last time out in, in twenty seventeen, they were losing about one defender a match, um, and they just they just rolled with those punches. You know they've got a, a great young crop of players as well. It's not all about harder. Although it's great watching her play for Denmark because she can play about three different roles simultaneously. Uh, so if if if, you, if there are tickets to Denmark games, I do encourage everyone to go and watch Denmark because harder for Denmark is something special. Um, but they've got yes, some, some great young players. Like I think there's 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 a there's a lot on that team that just is very very good and and possibly under the radar to a degree because everyone's talking Germany and Spain and that that plays into their hands because they were in the group of death. You know, back in 2017 as well with the Netherlands, Norway and, and, and Belgium and they go all the way to the final. I think this will be a great tournament. I've mentioned her already, but for Nadia Nadim, she plays over in the States, but she's making her international comeback after an ACL injury, Vicky, in September mm. last year. Plenty of player knowledge from her. She might play in the States now, but she spent a couple of seasons at PSG. She also scored the two goals that Denmark needed against Italy to make sure of qualification for the tournament. So we know she turns up on big occasions. We do. And I think the other side to that is is the controversy that her inclusion has has generated, I think, particularly in the Danish media, because there's there's a whole backstory here. Basically, uh, Nadia Nadim in April became an official ambassador for the World Cup in Qatar. Now, the Danish Football Association ahead of the Men's World Cup this year have been very, very strong on their approach to it, the emphasis on human rights. And she's received quite a lot of criticism in in the Danish media for, for taking on that role. Now, for her part, she said that, you know, taking on an ambassadorial role is an opportunity to change things in the country. And her personal story as well, if you dig a little bit deeper, she came to Denmark as a refugee from Afghanistan. She had to flee when the Taliban took over. And actually, I was reading an article that was um, publicised by the Qatar organising committee. So obviously, it's their perspective. But her aunt was one of the people evacuated to Qatar when the Taliban took over again last year. So there's a whole load of complexity in terms of her personal connection, in terms of what Qatar have done with Afghanistan. Of course, there's what Qatar have done for the World Cup and the criticisms of human rights there. All of that is this massive melting pot. I think the thing that really stood out for me as well, apart from that, was Denmark's manager, at the time that he was discussing the selection, he answered a load of questions about Qatar and whether she should or shouldn't be an ambassador. 
But this this is a quote, and it's one of these where I read it in English, and I thought, I'm not sure that can't be right, surely. So I went and, and Googled a load of Danish articles to get the exact quote, and it was. It was. So this is what he says. He, he says that she's chosen for sporting reasons. She can be a bit arrogant, maybe a bit like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which doesn't really fit with our culture, but we like it when she scores the crucial goals. And he, and he, and he's, I know. And he's then went on to say, you know, it won't cause unrest in the squad. And of course, you know, she's played with these players for, for years and years and years. But I honestly, I mean, going into a major tournament to say nice. that your striker is a bit arrogant and it doesn't really fit yeah. with our culture. Because I think the Zlatan comparison is, is fine because we know how good Zlatan is. We know his personality. If you're we know how good he Zlatan, thinks he is as well. Exactly. Um, and people so that upset bizarre, that about him. Yeah, so that bizarre quote from Lars Sondergaard there. Mm. I've interviewed Nadia Nadim. I spent a long half an hour with her and I... I wouldn't personally call her arrogant. If she's arrogant on the pitch, then that's something different, isn't it? But um, but yeah, a pretty bizarre thing to say. So plenty of backstory, basically, for Denmark going into this tournament. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. On to Group C then, which includes the Netherlands, Sweden, Portugal and Switzerland. We're going to start with Sweden, the team that Chelsea manager Emma Hayes told Lindsay to watch out for. So without further ado, Lindsay caught up with Swedish journalist Frida Fagerland to see if Emma was right. Frida, lovely to speak to you. I know that you're on holiday before starting your work on the Euros, so we're very privileged indeed to have some of your time. I want to speak all things Sweden with you and starting off with Emma Hayes, Chelsea manager, who spoke to me and said, Sweden are the ones to look out for. And when a manager like that is tipping Sweden, we've all got to take it seriously. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with her. Um, I think that they are a very good team. They came very close to winning the Olympics last summer. They should have won it, to be fair. They were the better team. They were better than Canada. But they didn't manage to score that crucial goal went out on penalties or lost on penalties, I, I should say. So, yeah, I, I definitely feel like the the work that they put in since 2017 when Peter Gerson took over, I feel like now is the time for them to get that title. And it hasn't happened since 1984 for Sweden, so it would be a very, very big deal if they managed to do that. The credentials are there. Like you say, it looks like a building project because you look back on major tournaments, 2019 World Cup, they got a bronze medal. You look at the two straight Olympic silvers. So it does look like it's heading towards somewhere. But what has happened to the squad in that time, Frida, in terms of getting older? You know, we know that balance between youth and experience and it's all about getting that on point. I would say there's a very good balance right now between players that have Lots of experience, like the captain, Caroline Sager, who's been on the national team since, uh, I, I, I think it's like 2005. It's such a long time. Uh, and she's very crucial for this team, uh, not least due to her like mentality and, and the way she gets this team going. But also, there, there are some younger players that are very exciting to watch and and then we also have these players that are in the right age so to speak so that's Fridolina Rolfo at Barcelona, Stina Bextemius at, at Arsenal so I feel like there's a very good mix and like I said everything they've done since 2017 and especially 2019 when they actually surprised everyone by coming in third place or ending up in third place no one expected that really 
I think came, they were so well prepared and they've showed that throughout ever since 2019. So I can't really see them going backwards. Um, I, I just, I'm just seeing them proceeding even more. And we have to remember as well that quite a lot of the squad know what it's like to play in England. The fact that the Euros are being held here in all these smaller stadiums and then we've got the, the big marquee stadiums as well for the latter stages. Uh, your your players like Stina Blackstenius, who's at Arsenal, she's had a taste of some of those stadiums now. Magdalena Eriksson, c- could that be key as, as well? Yeah, definitely. I feel like Stina Blackstenius is an interesting case because... Like the first time I interviewed her, she was such a shy girl and you could tell that she was struggling with her confidence. But she's just a completely different, not only different player, but a different person today. And I actually spoke to Pia Sundhage, the former national captain who is now at uh, Brazil, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And she said the same thing. Like when she first, you know, had Stina Bakstenius in her group, she, she was just... You just couldn't believe, like, if, if you're looking at her today and what she was like back then, just a few years ago, like, her development has been absolutely amazing. But she is such a good player. So I'm, I'm so thrilled that she's, yeah, it feels like she's found, you know, a good place at, at Arsenal, that she has a very good relationship with Jonas Edeval, the, the, the coach as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if she, uh, she can do well at the Euros. I, I definitely think she can. You've spoken about this transition under Gerhardsen. Uh, what style of football does that represent? I would say that the key to their success is probably that they're very, very well prepared. And that's a lot to do to their analyst, who is absolutely amazing. He's one of the best you can find in the country in Sweden. And yeah, so every every game they just step out and yeah, they, they feel like they know what to do. They're very well organised. And what do you think is the one weakness that opposition could get at? It would probably be the mentality, like we we saw last summer, you know, when that final went to penalties, when they were actually all of a sudden like the big favourites to, to win. They didn't really have what it took. So I feel like that's the only worry. But overall, very well organised, very good defence. Like I said, like all the components are there for them to win this year. Frida, thank you very much. Where do you think Sweden will finish then? We need to end on your prediction. I mean, I'm going to go with the title here. Uh, wow, you're with Emma Hayes. We've never, we never, we never been better, uh, to be honest, ever. So um, uh, fingers crossed, it all works out well. Thank you, Frida. Enjoy the rest of your holiday before the hard work begins. Thank you so much for having me on. To get the measure of Sweden's big rivals in the group, the Netherlands, I spoke to Dutch journalist Anne-Marie Potsma. Anne-Marie, it feels like there's so much crossover between the Lionesses and the Netherlands this time. It's because, obviously, this is on home soil for England. Last time for the Netherlands, it was home soil. And you had Serena Wiegmann as your manager that brought home that trophy. Have, have you felt there have been those comparisons in your country as well? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I felt it actually on Friday when they uh, were wearing the same jerseys and I had to look <laughs> twice. <laughs> yes. Uh, they even uh, so went for orange. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> From your point of view, what has life been like post Serena Wiegmann for, for the Netherlands? Just try and sum that up for people that maybe haven't watched the Netherlands as much. To be honest, I think it would have been the same if she would have stayed because we were we were at this point that we really want uh, young players to 
to give them a chance. And it was up to Mark Parsons to do, whether he should give them a chance already or he would stick to the players that had played at the Olympics and the World Cup in 2019. And that would have been the same for Serena Wichmann. And then what happened was that Mark Parsons was kind of forced to already make that decision because we had some players, some key players that suffered from serious injuries like Lika Martens and Daniela van der Donk. Yeah, so we have a mixture of young players and uh, inexperienced on big tournaments. We have eight players that are new on a European championship. Yeah, and then we have some experienced players. So, yeah, that's kind of the point where, where we're at now. And I'm curious to see how it's going to turn out. I really am too, because there are other nations that it feels like they've been building to something. Uh, spoke with the, the Sweden journalist Frida, and she was talking about how, you know, two runners up in the Olympics, a third place in the World Cup in France. Now, you were runners-up in that tournament. You won at the Euros that we've mentioned already in 2017. But does it feel like you might have hit the brow of the hill and you're coming back over? Because it's hard when you're the defending champions to hang on, isn't it? It is. But even after 2017, people were saying, oh, this was just a summer hype. So people were already saying that every time this... Uh, the the women book a great success. People are saying, oh, this this is the top of the hill. And they, they said it after 2017, they said it after 2019, and then the Olympics came. And of course, now they're saying it again after the big defeat against England. I think it's the defeat is, is worrying in a way that we're actually at this point to see like, okay, how are we going to perform with this mixture of young players and experienced players? But we also have the experience that the Dutch team is capable of bouncing back from defeats mm. like this. I mean, we reached the World Cup in 2015 and 2019 by going through playoffs. And I mean, ahead of the playoffs were, were these big defeats and everyone was saying, oh, we're, we're not going to make it, but they, they've proven us wrong. So I do think they're capable of bouncing back again for these Euros. In terms of personnel who we should be watching out for. Everyone's already talking about Lika Martins. We, we all know the threat that she bears and she looked dangerous against England as well in that match. But uh, Danielle van der Donk coming back from injury, could that be key? Do you have enough leaders? Um, yeah, it's a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you put them on, all three of them, they are the ones that's going to be that, that's going to show leadership on the pitch like we saw on Friday. I mean, once you put Mirima on because she started on the bench, uh, once you put her on, she's the one yelling like, come on, we have to do it like this. So we made we, we, we practiced it like this and in, uh, in practice. Um, but she's up front and we also need leadership in the back in our defense. And that's uh, our biggest weakness at the at the moment. So. Uh, yeah, those three, those three are up for the task. But like Daniela van der Donk told, told me, uh, she said, I do feel a big responsibility as one of the more experienced players. But I've been away for months. Like, I don't have the same role that I used to have. I don't have that same role now. So she's very humble about that. And, and I don't think she, she wants to step up and say like, okay, you know, we're going to do it like this. And uh, yeah, she's a bit humble after being away for so long. So I think it, it's really up to Miedema more and to Sharida Spitzer, who played her 200 uh, match for the Netherlands. Yeah, and we have our captain, uh, Sari van Veenendaal. But yeah, she's a bit inconsistent. So I don't know what it does with her confidence. 
From a playing style point of view then, because there's this juggle for Mark, he's got to get it right with this blend of youth and the experience that is there. What can we expect, do you think, in, in terms of playing style? Well, I, I asked uh, Stephanie van der Gracht that last week. I said, could you just give me one example of the things that you're doing with him, the, the things that he he's changed? And it was a coincidence because she said she was talking about moving forward as a defender. And she said he wants us all to play on the on the on the half line, the midline. Okay, yeah, yeah, and hold so, the high line. Yeah, yeah, he wants to push us forward as a defense. Defense, and she had to get used to that, and they're getting used to that. And then that's exactly the thing that went wrong on Friday when the whole team collapsed. So that's what he wants. I'm just not sure if the team is capable of playing the way he wants them to play. I'm not sure if he does he if he has enough time. To, to get that running and get all yeah faces in the same direction. He may have to abort that philosophy then at some point. We don't know. But where yeah. do you think the Netherlands then, Anne-Marie, can finish just to finish? Like I said, I mean, with the experience from Friday, I'm a bit worried. And the, the first match against Sweden will be crucial in any way, like for, the, for gaining confidence, for getting to the, the next round. So... I'm also thinking this team performs so well on tournaments and they're capable of bouncing back. Like if, if the critic criticism, the higher the criticism, the better they start playing. So I don't know. It, it, it can go two ways, but I, I hope for the best. I hope for the final. <laughs> for the final. Okay, right. There we go. We're going to nail that to the mast. We're, we're, okay. we're going to hope for the final with you. Okay. Thanks very much, Anne-Marie. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, expectations for the Netherlands are very high, but at the other end of the scale, very little, it could be argued, is expected of Portugal, who were called up just two months before the tournament started. Plenty of last-minute preparations then for Portugal. Sophie replacing Russia, who was suspended from the tournament for invading Ukraine. Realistically, what are we expecting? Um, they're going to have a tricky tournament. Uh, it, it's it's tough. Uh, I, I don't think the Netherlands are, are going to be all that much very transitional, but the Netherlands know how to score and they know how to get a hold of the ball, you know, and we know that Sweden can be well, favourites for the tournament. So I think it it, 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 it doesn't help either uh, Portugal or Switzerland. You know, they're, they're going to try and get forward, try and disrupt where they can, but it, it, it's it's tough, even with the, the league in Portugal growing, when you look across so a typical starting 11, you've got a lot of, You've got some younger players, you've got some older players, you don't have that many around the middle, nor do you have that many sort of backup options. So you're looking at someone like Jessica Silva breaking away and scoring something ludicrous. That's sort of their best chance of getting far or, or having uh, Ines Pereira have sort of the game of her life to keep someone like uh, Miedemar out. So I think it's, it's going to be incredibly tough for them. I think all eyes will, will, will be on their match against Switzerland because that's the best chance for either of them to go out and just say, hey, we can we can ball, we can play football, we deserve to be here. Yeah, a lack of experience outside Portuguese club football really is going to be the issue with that one. Let's talk about Switzerland with you, Vicky, if that's okay. The final team that we'll cover in this Group C, they won't have uh, Alicia Lehman as part of the team. Uh, she withdrew herself from selection because she didn't feel mentally ready. Who is going to pick up the baton for them? I mean, in terms of stand-up players, you're looking at Ramona Backman, Leah Volti, players that we know, of course, from, from the WSL. You asked me about pronunciations earlier. Here's one for you. Anna-Marie 
Chena Gorsevich, which sounds easy. I, I actually but actually this, this one as well. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've covered her domestically, but yeah, it's Chena Gorsevich is certainly not uh, spelt as it's pronounced, but <laughs> they're all-time leading goal scorer, they're top scoring qualifying, and she can play as a defender or or up front as well. Um, so, you know, they, they've got players that, again, I think, again, so many of these teams, and I, I put Switzerland kind of in that middle bracket of, of teams that, you know, if they manage to get to the quarterfinals, that, that would be a good achievement, but you don't see them go much further. But there are these these players, you know, Backman and, and Valti and Chena Gorsevich, that, that you look at and you think, particularly Backman and Valti because of their WSL experience, that they have the the ability and the... That, that ability that we, we were talking about with Hegerberg, not on the same level as Hegerberg, but to, to really influence a game and take a game that's in the balance by the scruff of its neck. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with Switzerland. I think they've, they've got a chance of, of getting through. Okay. I mean, that is a bold claim when we talk about Sweden and Netherlands being in that group as well. The it's top just, two yeah, teams I think the, in each group going through. Yeah, I, and that's why I say it's a chance. <laughs> but ne- <laughs> Nether- Netherlands are just fascinating me at the moment. I mean, we know that they've got so much quality. I, I think Sweden, along with Spain and England, are probably one of my one of my picks for the tournament. But I love Netherlands as a neutral in so many ways. But just their form at the moment under Mark Parsons. I mean, touched on it earlier that the benefit that England are, are going to have in terms of having that 5-1 victory, the positive that that is for England, that is a huge negative for the Netherlands. I mean, I was at Ellen Road for that and Miedemar straight off the pitch, straight off. She was so angry at half at, at full time. And again, if, if they're just up against it, if, if they get a bad result against Sweden and then it's, you know, nil-nil with Switzerland, you just wonder, you just wonder how their current form and, and just the questions that there are in the Dutch media, very much so, and amongst Dutch fans over Mark Parsons and whether he's he's good enough to, to take them deep into this tournament, you just wonder. But a chance, minus, mm. you know, not, not a capital C chance, okay. a small C chance. Uh, Sophie, very, very briefly, uh, where do you see the finishing positions in this group? Who's going to top the group? Sweden. And um, Netherlands second? Then- Probably should be second. Um, say Switzerland. Uh, Switzerland uh, are not a bad team, but I think they don't have eleven players of the same caliber, um, and they just took a very heavy hit. Uh, they lost seven nil to, to Germany, so I think Switzerland are going to sort of drop down to that third position or even fourth if they have a uh, a bad one against Portugal. On to our final group now, Group D, featuring France, Italy, Belgium and Iceland. France first. Uh, team selection-wise, they are missing quite a few players in this one, Vicky. Amandine Henry mm. um, scored that screamer in the Champions League final. We won't get to see that this summer. Uh, Eugenie Lissamere and uh, Sarah Bouadi. Are they as injury hit and personnel hit as, as I'm thinking here, or have they got enough to make up for it? I think they've got enough to make up for it and... and- you also have the the constant drama <laughs> that you have with France, with Corinne Diacre, who who just you know is is very unequivocal about certain players in terms <laughs> of her opinions. I mean, from a neutral's perspective, thank goodness we are going to see Marie Antoinette Catoto at this European tournament because I remember doing the World Cup in France in 2019, and of course she was left out by Diacre for that, despite being the top scorer in the French top flight that season. The question at the time, I think, as well as Diacre's just opinion more generally on on Katoto and and her approach was, could she do it in big games? And my word, we've certainly seen that, haven't we? Certainly for PSG. So, uh, you know, 
they've got a great squad, the French. I think there's always that added side serving of, of drama that you get. But, you know, what the big thing for the French is, is becoming a side that can go all the way or, you know, even get to a final, even get past the quarterfinals, because that's been the biggest issue for them, hasn't it? They reached the semifinals of the World Cup back in 2011. They have lost in the quarterfinals of the last five major tournaments since then. And, and yeah, when you look at the Euros, 1997, since then, France have gone out in the last eight in every Euros. They are the perennial underachievers in terms of the quality that they've got in, in that squad, in terms of the way that, you know, you, you watch them play at times and you think goodness this is a side that could win the Euros and then they just don't seem to do it at major tournaments and yes sometimes they're unlucky with with who they come up against in in the last eight the World Cup in 2019 being a good example of that but you know it's there's always that weakness with the French isn't there I mean you go back to September look at the wobble that they had against Slovenia in the World Cup qualifiers they needed a late winner against Slovenia I mean that would have been one of the biggest shocks in international women's football history so Again, it's one of those where on paper, yes, they could go all the way, but you just wonder how much mentality will will come into this. As we said already, you know, it's going to be a hugely competitive knockout stage, regardless of who gets through. Will the French be able to stand up and be counted this time? We wait and see. I always look forward to watching the French and I'm always slightly let down by them. Mm. Uh, you have to take it on a game-by-game basis and look at the personnel involved. Their front three probably one of the most dynamic in world football. Uh, And here I'm talking about Diani, Sandy Baltimore and Katoto, who you've mentioned already, Vicky. All three played together at Paris Saint-Germain. So they've got that, that relationship between them already, scoring a combined 35 goals in the French league this season. So they are definitely three players to look out for. Knowing Corinne Diacre, she won't play them all three together at the same time because that's the kind of manager <laughs> that would be far Diacre too logical. Is. Would make far oh. too much sense. <laughs> so for, we've also got legends, and I love Wendy Granard. And we, you know, we saw in the Champions League final just how important players like her still are. She's a veteran of these big tournaments, and she will show up. Who else do we need to be looking out for? Provided she starts. Uh, Selma Basha, left back for, for for Lyon. She's in just scandalous form. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, and I, we know that France's midfield isn't going to be what it would have been if, if Henri had been involved. I think which is why you're going to be looking at those those fullbacks to, to provide a bit more service and, and, and get the ball p- progressed. Whereas, you know, back in you know a different tournament it would have been Henri on before her it would have been Abelie getting getting the ball forward. But um there's yeah I, I think other than the sort of the front the front three and, and sort of mixing in someone like Cascarino, uh you've got Renard at the back, you've got Mbok next to her. So there's there's gonna be goals in that France team, even if it only comes if they only come from the centre backs as they so uh, in frequently do. But it's yeah, as, as as Vicky said, it's it's the drama. The you know, it, it's hard to perform as a player if there is so much noise going on around you. Uh, and and we've seen it with France time and time again that they can play the most sublime football, but then they can't put the ball in the back of the net. So with with Katoto now, they should be able to put the ball in the back of the net. There's there's no one in that France squad who has that that, that kind of just relentless hunger to score like, like she does. And I, I don't think France have ever produced a player like that but before in the modern era. So, yeah. France's first opponents will be Italy. I think if anyone looking at the, the competition as a whole is thinking, 
oh, who could be one of those dark horses that comes through? I'm sure Italy will be among that list, especially when you see how they've invested in the country, uh, Vicky. They, they mm. really have started to back their football over there. They haven't gone further than the quarterfinals in a major tournament since 97. Could this be the time they go that step further? If they do, if they reach the last four, I think that would be a huge achievement given the strength of the teams that, that we're, we're discussing. They're 14th in the FIFA World Rankings, but but I think what you have for Italy are, are two real positives. One is the performance back in 2019. Yes, it was three years ago, but to, to get to the last eight of that World Cup, again, you know, you've obviously got all the, the strong European teams, but then you're throwing in the likes of the USA and as well. But it's it's... They did so well in that tournament. And I think that was a real game changer mentally for, for, for Italy, just to be able to compete on what is an increasingly competitive world stage. And at the time, you know, with, with players that were getting a lot of investment, that were playing at higher level in club football than a lot of the Italian players were. I think the other big positive is the growing strength of the, the women's league, as you touched on there. And Juventus, I mean, what what a brilliant yeah. season that they've had. You know, you, you've got a host of Juventus players in this Italy squad reaching the Champions League quarterfinals, beating Lyon, the eventual winners in the first <laughs> leg of that. Yes, Lyon went down to 10 players. We know that. But but still, I, I think there were just, again, we talk about the mentality and, and the shift that there's been with England under Wiegmann and whether it's going to pose challenges for the French. I think in terms of mentality, Italy are on top of the world at the moment because of the national team's performance in the last World Cup in terms of major tournaments and because of the growth of, of the women's game domestically. And, and, you know, if you're a Juventus player coming into this, I mean, what a, what a season to be coming <laughs> off the back of and thinking, you know what, let's look at this group. Obviously, France are going to be strong, but Belgium, you know, that's that's a side for, for Italy that they are potentially going to think, yeah, we can finish ahead of them. And then Iceland as well as, as the team that are going to be trying to upset the apple cart and, and do something, you know, and, and have strengths of their own as well. But, you know, that that group, is, I think, is going to be really hotly contested, Group D. And, yeah, I think Italy, like you say, potentially could be one of the dark horses. If they were to make the last four, I, I think that would really make people sit up and take notice. So I think that would be outstanding for them. So pick up on Italy for us. Well, as I'm making so many bold claims today... Um, I think they've got a chance of beating France uh, in that, that head-to-head match and then actually going on and topping the group. Uh, I, you know, if you look at what the team's done since uh, Bertolini came in after she took over from, from Cabrini, you had a massive kind of overhaul in mentality. The team just sort of makes sense. They gel so well. They had such a great 2019, such a great World Cup because no one was expecting anything of them. But they've just kind of got that in them and it's, it's I think... Yes, you've got the Juventus side of it, you've got this and that and the other, but you've got a very good set of players there. You've got players like Bonancer, like Girelli, that can just make things happen. They're fun to watch when it works. And yeah, so they're my dark horses to, to actually get not just out not just out of the group, but to, to get to the last four. Mm. And they've got something to aim for, having not gone further than the quarterfinals in any major tournament since 97. They've got a clear aim as well. Definitely one to look out for. Well, next up, let's talk about Belgium. Their first major tournament was the Euros in 2017. They didn't get out of the group stage on that occasion. This is their second bite at the cherry. What's to be said about 
the team. Um, I note that their manager's been with them for an awfully long time, 11 years uh, mm. for Ives to Niels, Vicky. Um, has there been progress in the team, sufficient progress for them to have a better outing of it this time? I would say yes, potentially. I mean, over his 11 years, I mean, they've, they've vastly improved. The The investment in Belgian women's football has, has greatly increased. He led them to that first and only major tournament in, uh, in Euro 2017. And they put up a, a decent fist of it as well uh, in that tournament. But uh, I think if you're looking at players that are standing out, Tessa Vullart's their leading goal scorer. She's the captain as well. Janice Kyman that we didn't see against England. She'd only just returned from a very, very busy domestic season. So, so wasn't available for that. So again, I think they're one of those teams that you think on their day, and I know they ended up losing 3-0 to England in the warm-up friendly, but but again, they, they did well. They held England at bay in the first half. That's the key for Belgium. They, they've got the players that can influence the game. Will they be able to step up and do that? Mm, okay. Finally, our last team to cover is Iceland. Producer Sophie's been doing a bit of intensive research as to why so many of the players' names end in Dottir. It means daughter. So my dad's first name is Michael. So I'd be Michael Dottir. Uh, Vicky Sparks, what about you? I would be Kent Dottir. And Sophie? Kent Dottir. Oh, well said incredibly well enough of that already you can join in with that game at home um, as well uh, if you like Iceland are being called dark horses I mean it's so easy to put this tag on a team isn't it but they are one of the teams that people are quite excited about with the potential to do something in this competition tell us why Sophie they've, they've come along uh, heaps and bounds in the last couple of years they've got a fantastic young attacker called uh, Svendis or Svendis Jane Dottir to give her Vicky record that <laughs> yeah, yeah so, and she, she plays for Wolfsburg they've actually just sort of signed her up on a, an even longer term deal because um, she's already started to impress I think we might have seen glimmers of her in the Champions League but she's kind of, she as much as sort of the star that she's kind of blossoming into is there's a lot of strength through that team a lot of experience and if, if, even if you look at the back line with someone like Sif Abba she always plays better for, for her national team and I think there's just there's a lot of good feeling around Iceland and people always want to see Iceland win. They they want the fans to come out and the numbers do the clap. You know, if you go back to 2017, they were incredibly unlucky. They had some some iffy calls against them. They they had some big injuries in the build up. This time around, they don't have that going on. Hopefully, they can hit the ground running. I think they can cause all sorts of problems no matter who they face. And I think that's. You know that that's going to be a, a big problem for for even Belgium. You know who who are thinking right? Well, we can finish. We can beat this. But I think Iceland are, are definitely a, a team to watch. And yeah, a lot, lot of daughters out there. But um, mm. uh, a lot of daughters out there. Don't forget the aerial ability that Danny Brillas Dottir brings to it as well. Of course, the West Ham player. Bit of controversy surrounding Iceland, though, Vicky. A few complaints mm. about the venues. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It was uh, Sarah Bjorkgunas Dottir making the point about venue size and playing in particular at Manchester City's Academy Stadium, which is where Manchester City's women play. And she was basically very strong on that, said that it was shocking that they were playing at a stadium which at the tournaments, because of UEFA regulations, will have a capacity in Manchester of just over 4,500, the New York Stadium in Rotherham with with 10,500. It's tricky. I mean, you've got different perspectives on this. I think the pushback from the organisers has been, well, it is it is Manchester City's home ground. I think Gunnar Zotter called it a training stadium. 
it is the home stadium for Manchester City women. It's hosted Champions League games. I think the FA have, have also said as well that, you know, look, when, when they did the tender process for Women's Euro 2021, as it was then, that was back in 2019. And, and they didn't have many clubs that were banging the door down, I think were the words that they used in terms of hosting. Now, I think what was not predicted by the organisers and by the clubs that were you know, potentially able to host games and, and thought, actually, no, we, we don't want to be involved on this occasion, was the growth in women's football. And I think we've particularly seen that driven by the Champions League this season. I mean, Barcelona, world record crowds in the Women's Champions League, getting over 90,000 on two occasions. I think a lot of that is down to the coverage that has improved and it, it generates, you know, it's chicken and egg, but it, it generates, you get more exposure, you get more interest, you get better broadcasting, all of that sort of thing. You know, were we picking venues now? Would they pick different venues? Would there be more interest? Would they be able to get bigger crowds? It's already going to break the records for, you know, the, the biggest crowds at a women's Euro. So it, it is on track to do that and then some. But would we be able to fill more stadiums? Absolutely, I think we would. Could they have predicted that? Should they have predicted that in 2019? You know, that's a question for the organisers, really, and a question for the clubs that potentially didn't take the opportunity and are now maybe wishing that they had done. Well, let's wrap that up. All of our groups covered there and every single team. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. So that's all the teams covered. Now it's time for predictions. I'd like a winning team and golden boot winner from all of you. I'll get us started. I'm going to go all in for England to win the home Euro. I know that Sophie, we, we get carried away. I know we spoke about it at the top. It just feels like on home soil with some of the quality that we've got, the way that we've prepared to go into this tournament, I'm, I've got to get behind them. So I'm going England to win it. And for Golden Boot, I'm going to go a bit out there. I'm going to go Black Stenius for the Golden Boot. Oh, okay. Okay. Not a bad shout. Who are you guys going for? There's so many to choose from. But then it's Toto. how far are people going to go? I know, yeah. I'm thinking Katoso. But then how far Miedemar, are France going to go? but I think the Netherlands could go. But I don't know. Hegerberg as well, if Norway have a good tournament. I would probably go Katoso just because even if they get knocked out in the quarters, I can see her winning it. Okay, so Lindsay's gone for England to win and Black Stenius for Golden Boot. Vicky, you mentioned Katoso there, and I actually agree with that one myself for Golden Boot. Who's your winning team? going to pull the classic commentator card and sit on the fence with the winning oh, team on. I'm afraid no 100% never before a major tournament particularly when you're commentating <laughs> on the host nation are you gonna nail your colours to the mast and say it's coming home but I, you know England have a great chance I, I, I'm going to disagree with Sophie I think Spain are going to go deep into the tournament Sweden as well they'd be my top three for me Sweden mm. is my winner I'm afraid England uh, that's mainly only because I don't want to book England at all Sophie you've been making bold statements throughout the show today who's your golden boot winner who's your tournament winner Ooh, tricky uh, I'm going to go full scandy here I'm going to say Sweden to win it and let's give let's give Hegerberg the golden boot <laughs> perfect All right, the fun continues. Now it's time for the Athletic Women's Football Show sweepstake for the Euros. Producer Sophie will pick these names out of a virtual hat for us. So I have Norway. Lindsay has got Italy. Producer Sophie, she's given herself, well, she hasn't really, but Switzerland. Producer Abby gets Portugal. 
our guest team. So that's for you, Sophie and Vicky, and all of our future guests. We're lumping them all into one. Your team is going to be, oh, it's Denmark. And mm-hmm. you, the listeners, you're getting final one. Oh, it's Sweden. Lucky you, listeners. Don't say we don't look after you. Right. That's all we've got time for on this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Thank you, Sophie. You're welcome. And to Vicky Sparks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Listen out for our daily podcast throughout the Euros. It all kicks off on the 6th of July. Make sure you tell your friends and family to get into the hype as well, because we all need to get behind these Euros. They are going to be fantastic. Let it all begin. The Athletic.